All right, Revelation 16. Now, in our last study, which was week before last, we studied verses 1 through 9 of chapter 16, and we covered the first four bowl judgments. The first bowl, if you will recall, when it was poured out, foul and painful sores came upon those bearing the mark of the beast. Huh. Interesting. And that, by the way, is another one of the side effects of the vaccine. Foul and painful sores. And those who worship the image of the beast. That was verse 2. Now, verse 3, the second bowl. When the second bowl is poured out, the seas and the oceans become blood as of a dead man, dark, coagulated, killing everything in the sea, all sea life, which worldwide is a major food source. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we're big here on beef, pork, chicken. Many parts of the world rely almost entirely on seafood, fish, shellfish, and so forth. The third bowl, in verse 4, the rivers and the remaining sources of water turned to blood. First it was the oceans, the seas, the salt water, and then it affected the inland waters as well. And then the angels, if you remember, began praising God's holy judgments because he is just. He is holy. He is righteous. And when he pours out judgment, it's entirely appropriate for him to do so. The fact of the matter is, anytime he doesn't pour out judgment, it's because of his grace, his love, his mercy, and his forgiveness. Now, the fourth bowl in verse 8. The sun causes a major heat wave to scorch the planet with fire. We've had some heat waves this summer, haven't we? We're right back in the middle of another one again. To scorch the planet with fire. Did you see the smoke in the sky this morning? Another preview of coming attractions. The incorrigible wicked refuse to repent while they blaspheme the name of God. We saw that last week or two weeks ago. So let me read verses 10 through 15 and we'll move on to that. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And then we have a little interlude here directly from Jesus. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time in your word. We pray for your anointing, empowering upon the teaching of your word that you would impart to us Further knowledge, understanding, insight into what lies ahead so that we may be fully prepared even as we know and understand we won't be here for these things, but it's important for us to know about them even as we're talking this morning about discerning the signs of the times as Paul told the Thessalonians. You know the seasons, you know the signs of the times, and so we thank you that you've made these things known to us and we ask you to bless this study now in Jesus' name, amen. So we're on the fifth bowl, darkness and pain. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. 
and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. Again, we'll see here in a moment a correlation between this and the ninth plague of Egypt. But it could also be said that this fifth bowl, God's judgment now being poured out on the Antichrist, because it says on the throne of the beast and his unholy short-lived reign over the earth, the kingdom was, his kingdom was plunged into darkness. The darkness of the fifth bowl is a preview of hell itself, which is described by Jesus as the outer darkness in Matthew 25, 30. You'll be cast into outer darkness. And so this is a preview of what awaits those on the earth who have received the mark. And you might say it's now lights out for all who have taken the mark of the beast and become citizens of his kingdom of darkness. Now, there's been various commentaries on this. Is this a literal physical darkness? I believe it is. But is it also a spiritual, mental, emotional darkness? I believe that also. And that is what people will experience when they spend an eternity in hell. So I think it's all of the above. It's a literal physical darkness, just like what came upon Egypt. Exodus 10, 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over t- uh, toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. You know, darkness so thick you can cut it with a knife. You ever, you've ever been in such a place that's so dark you just can't even see your hand in front of your face. So Moses stretched out his hand, verse 22, toward heaven, and there was thick, thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another. Can you imagine all the uh, injuries from people bumping into each other in the dark? I'm serious. Nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. You see how God works with his people? How cool is that? Darkness over the land of Egypt, so thick no one could even see anybody else. And yet the Israelites had light in their dwellings. And Pastor Chuck Smith speculated when he was here on the earth that these events, the sun's scorching heat, the darkness, all this could be the result of nuclear war. And certainly towards the end of the tribulation, all things are possible. And they nod their tongues because of the pain. Think about it. People are shut up in their homes, living spaces, with their sores and pain, and there is no relief, no hope, only constant torment. Literally, in the Greek, it's the active tense. It says... They kept on gnawing their tongues out of agony. You've got to be pretty agonized to be gnawing on your own tongue, don't you? I've had some dental issues lately, and it's kind of affected my bite, and I have been repeatedly biting my lip and my tongue, and it hurts. Do we know that? But here they are deliberately, continually gnawing their tongues out of agony. Matthew 13, 49 through 50. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so again, this gnawing of the tongues is a preview of what these people will experience for all eternity. You see, if anyone reads the scriptures and believes them, 
Why would you do anything else except receive Christ? Why would you willingly cast yourself into an eternity of torment? Pray for the gift of faith for those that you care about that are not believers. God, please impart to them the gift of faith. Enable them to believe in you, to trust in you, because the alternative is unthinkable. Verse 11, they... (laughs) Now you'd think there'd be some repentance here, wouldn't you? They blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. How many people do you know that blame God for all the bad stuff and don't give him any credit for any of the good stuff? Right? But the Bible says all good things come down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. All good things come from God and yet he gets to blame for all the bad. God is love. God is good. Nothing bad comes from God. We live in a fallen world. We're in a fallen state. Sinners, hopefully saved by grace. Satan is the prince of this world. We're going to see here in a moment these demons coming out of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. These people should be turning to God. Instead, they're blaspheming him. See, God's judgment, his punishment, is intended to bring about repentance. But these folks have sold their souls to Satan, and they are now unredeemable, or as Hillary would say, irredeemable. At the end of the day, we'll find out who's irredeemable, I guess. Exodus 8, 30 through 32. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh. So over and over again, these plagues would be poured out on Egypt. Pharaoh would beg Moses to get rid of them. Moses would go to God. God would get rid of them. But guess what? He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But, verse 32, Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. In one place there in Exodus, it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, but that was because every time the Lord did something to try to bring repentance, Pharaoh resisted, rejected, and his heart was hardened. So you could say that God hardened his heart by these plagues, by these tests, by these judgments, but ultimately it is you and I who harden our hearts when we resist God. And that's what these people have done here in Revelation, in the tribulation. Instead of repenting and turning back to God and begging for forgiveness, they blaspheme God, just firming up that hardness of heart even more. And that's a scary thing, folks, for people who constantly resist God when He tries to reach them. The old expression, trials make you bitter or better. Those who blame God for all the bad stuff and don't give Him any credit for the good stuff. The longer you go through life doing that, the harder your heart becomes. And only God knows if there is a point in time where you are no longer, quote, redeemable. Statistically, it's interesting, they actually did a mathematical study on this many years ago. And 
mathematically, by the time a person, interestingly now, the Bible says we're granted 70 years on the earth, right? 80 years if we have the strength. By the time a person reaches the age of 70, mathematically, statistically, it's from the natural viewpoint, zero percentage chance that someone will become a believer. Now, God can do anything, right? Have there been people that got saved at 70 or 75 or 80? Sure, but not very many. Why would that statistic actually be accurate? Because by the time you've reached 70 years of age, if you spent your whole life resisting God, fighting God, denying God, your heart has become so hardened. So particularly if you're anywhere shy of 70 and you're not saved, I recommend you do it right now. And if you're 70 or over, I, I <laughs> encourage you to defy the odds. And get saved anyway. Okay. Verse 12. Sixth bowl, Euphrates, dried up. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. I don't know how much you're following the news about China these days. They are all over the place, expanding their nuclear arsenal, expanding their bases uh, in the South Pacific, South China Sea, and so forth, threatening to invade Taiwan, threatening to wage war against the United States of America. Interesting how all this has developed in the last six months or so, seven months. Not that it wasn't going on before, but they've become more and more brazen open up front about it. Do you suppose that this, uh, the kings from the east could be China and associates? Dams have been built across the Euphrates River in the 20th century to divert water for irrigation. So there are times even today when there is little or no water in the Euphrates. And the drying up of this river is also predicted in Isaiah 11:15. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the Sea of Egypt... With his mighty wind, he will shake his fist over the river, big R. When you see the big R, it means Euphrates. And strike it in the seven streams that feed in. And make men cross over dry shod. But regardless of what causes the drying up of the Euphrates, the result is that it will open up a pathway for a massive army from the east. Again, one would think China. And um, many countries around the world, including the United States of America, have done everything in their, their power to empower China. Try going into the store and buying a product that does not say made in China. And by the way, not only the COVID-19, but every serious infectious disease that's infiltrated our nation over the past 20 or 30 years at least has come from where? China. Oops! <laughs> we didn't mean to do that. Right. And I, I forget which country it was. There have been some countries I've read about that said, well, we've been kind of shunned by the U.S., so we're going to partner up with China. If you guys don't want us, China does. 
China is setting up facilities all over the world, Africa, you name it. So that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared for what? They will march en masse for a confrontation with the beast in the valley of Megiddo, which ultimately then, as a result of these spirits going forth and the return of Christ, instead of fighting each other, they will band together and try to prevent the return of Jesus. Good luck on that one. Verse 13, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So interestingly, we have a trinity of evil here with the dragon, Satan, the beast, the Antichrist, the false prophet, whomever that may be. Some have speculated that, well, I don't want to go there, the Pope. Uh, <laughs> the Pip! <laughs> to quote... Uh, Peter Sellers from <laughs> the Pope. Um, a trinity of evil spirits coming from this satanic trinity. It lines with the second plague in Exodus 8, 5 through 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. So also, <laughs> they also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Oh yeah, we'll show you, Moses. We can bring frogs too. Talk about shooting yourself in the foot. We can do frogs too, you know. Well, great. The more the merrier, I guess. So three unclean spirits like frogs. Interesting. Verse 14, For they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So, spirits of demons, no surprise here, performing signs, demonic signs and wonders, that will convince the kings of the earth to follow their lead. And this confirms that demons have the ability and the capacity to influence earthly rulers. We already knew that, but this is a confirmation of that. One need only think of people like Adolf Hitler and the guy from Iran, what was Saddam Hussein and so forth, Osama bin Laden, they're just... There's been worse ones. Stalin, I mean, you go through the lists. goes on and on. So demons can and do influence earthly rulers and drive them in a certain direction. How could you call the Holocaust anything other than demonic? For that matter, 60 million aborted babies in the United States of America since 1970, I call that demonic. And I call people who willingly, knowingly participate in these things. I'm sorry. I'm talking about the medical community, not the poor women who are deceived into thinking this is a good idea. Demonic. To gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. 
So these frog-like demonic spirits that came out of the mouths of the dragon, the beast and the false prophet in verse 13, will draw the kings and leaders of the world into a fatal encounter with Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, initially, by the end of the tribulation, all these segments of the world, remember it's going to be divided into ten regions, no more nations as such. That, that plan is already being executed as we speak. What do you think the open border thing is all about? No more national sovereignty, no more independent nations. We are the world, one world order, the new world order, but it will be di divided up into ten sectors. And as things deteriorate more and more, various groups within these, it's kind of like the Hunger Games, if you ever saw that. And it's interesting how prophetic these films can be, and I'm not even sure if the people making them know that. It's like all the zombie stuff. So they will become disgruntled, frustrated, upset, angry, and so these different sectors with the, with the men over them, or women, will then decide that they're fed up with the beast, the Antichrist, and they're going to be marching on him, converging in the valley of Megiddo, but these demons are going to seduce them and entice them to join together to instead battle Jesus Christ at his return. We all know how that ends up, right? Praise God. It ends up with Jesus, the victor, and all of us who are with him, victors as well. So one final verse. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. This is Jesus, of course, talking. You never know, by the way, let's, let's just analyze this for a minute. What does this really mean? Well, if you're talking about a good thief, and I don't think there could be a better thief than Jesus, whatever he does, he's the best. You never know when the thief is coming. He doesn't leave you a voicemail or a text or an email. Going to be ripping you off on Friday, 3 p.m. You never know when the thief is coming. And again, if he's a good thief, he gets in and out as quickly as possible without being seen. Right? Right? Think about it. You never know when he's coming. He gets in and out as quickly as possible without being seen. That's the rapture. You see? The second coming, as lightning strikes from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. The whole world will see him. They're not the same event, folks. The rapture is the thief in the night snatching away God's people without even being seen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We'll be gone. We'll be out of here. Why is Jesus inserting this at this point? Hold on for a minute. Blessed is he who watches. See, I believe this is a little interlude. It's a reminder to true believers Reading this, remember the blessing in chapter 1. Blessed are those who read it, hear it, and put it into practice. It's a little interlude. It's a reminder to true believers to watch and be ready for the rapture in order to avoid being on the earth during this horrendous calamity. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Again, keeping your garments. 
the age-old debate. We've talked about it so many times. Calvinism versus Arminianism. By the way, Calvin didn't write any of the Bible. Arminius didn't write any of the Bible. But the Arminian theology is that you can lose your salvation. You can become unsaved if you fall into sin and you don't repent. Calvinism says no way, Jose. Once saved, always saved. I believe the Bible is written in such a way as to keep you and I on our toes. Those who keep their garments. The Bible predicts a great falling away in the last days. Ultimately, God is the judge, but we can choose to walk with him Practicing confession of sin and repentance whenever necessary, which is probably every day. Staying in fellowship, staying in the Word, staying in prayer, and you don't ever have to worry about it. Pastor Chuck Smith said, we are eternally secure in Christ. The minute you walk away, there is a little shred of doubt that begins to weave its way into your life, right? I've said this before, I've never met a backslider who was confident, comfortable. Without these garments, no one may enter the wedding feast of the Lamb, which will take place right after the rapture of the church. Matthew twenty-two eleven through 14. When the king came in to see the guests at the wedding feast, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Blah, 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 blah. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness. Gee, what does that sound like? What did we talk about this morning? Hell, eternal damnation, eternal judgment. Throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. What does that mean? Does that mean God sends you an invitation and then you show up and he rejects you? Here's the deal. Many are invited. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If God's perfect will were done in this universe, there wouldn't be one human being in hell. But the problem is God gave you and me a free will, a choice. He will not send anyone to hell, but you can send yourself. It's your choice. Many are called or invited, but few are chosen. How do you become one of the few? By choosing him. He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. God will reject no one who comes to him. But if you reject him, then you have chosen your eternal fate. Many are invited. The whole world is invited. But only those who choose God will be allowed into the wedding feast of the Lamb. How do you find out if you're chosen? Choose Him. Let's stand. Let's bow our heads for a moment. I'm going to ask anyone who needs prayer, if you'd raise your hand right now, I'd like to pray for you. It could be for you or someone you know at work, a loved one, a family member, a friend, or for yourself. Raise your hands if you'd like prayer this morning. Because God sees your hands, He sees your heart, the Holy Spirit is here, and we can call upon Him now. Let's do that. Father, I lift up each one who has raised their hand this morning. 
Lord, it could be a very minor thing, but you still care. Lord, or a major, it's all the same to you, Lord. Nothing is too difficult for you. With you, all things are possible. And Lord, I think you want to remind us of that this morning as we pray over each one of these folks. They may be thinking that there's no hope. They, they raise their hand, but they don't have much expectation of anything happening. Lord, we ask that you would rebuke that lack of faith, that lack of hope, that you would impart faith, hope, endurance, belief to each one. Father, we lift up those who have health issues. We ask that you pour out your healing oil upon them, Father, no matter whether it's a cold or allergies or cancer or heart disease, whatever it is, Father, diabetes. Lord, you're the Lord and master over all these things. Lord, you spoke to the winds and they abated. You spoke to the seas and they became calm. You have authority over everything in this universe. We ask you to curse diseases, sickness, illnesses. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray for healing for our people. Father, if it's an emotional, mental issue, anxiety, worry, fear, stress, doubt, or it could be anger, it could be resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, Lord, help us to give all those things over to you, and we pray for healing in our hearts and our minds. You would lift all anxiety, all depression, all doubt, all worry, all fear. Lift them off, we pray in Jesus' name. Help us to walk in victory, the victory that is ours in Christ. Lord, your word says your kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I pray that you would impart these things to your people, Lord. Joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. Lord, for broken relationships, we pray for healing. We pray that you'd help us to be peacemakers, Lord, to reach out. Even if we feel we've done nothing wrong, we can be the first to reach out and initiate reconciliation. We pray for repair in marriages, repair in friendships, repair in work relationships and school relationships, Lord. Your word tells us as much as it is within us, we are to be at peace with all people. Lord, help us to do our part and then trust you for the rest. And Lord, where reconciliation seems unreachable, help us just to give it over to you and be at peace about it. But we pray whenever possible there could be reconciliation and healing in these relationships. Lord, we pray for finances, those struggling financially, those in need of a job that you'd provide that job, but not a job that's going to restrict people in any way, require them to do certain things, not allow them to go to church. Give us the faith and the strength to stand up for our rights, to be able to gather to worship, not be hindered by employers. But we do pray for provision of jobs, for provision of finances, resources. Lord, you promised to give us our daily bread to take care of us. We pray that you would do that. Give us wisdom on how to be better managers of our finances, make better choices and better decisions. But Help us, forgive us in our weaknesses, and provide for our needs, we pray in Jesus' name. We thank you for this time in your word today in worship. We ask you to receive now our final offering of praise in Jesus' name. Amen.